you know, I, I just can't express how much um, encouragement we, we really draw from you guys. And so uh, we really thank you so much for the encouragement that you've been giving us. It's been a, a real source of blessing and strength for us. Uh, so today we're looking at Matthew's Gospel. And I know that uh, uh, um, Brother Charles has been really leading a, a, a series in prayer, really, you know, dealing with prayer. And, and actually, um, kind of ties in with that, actually, a lot of what we're going to talk today about has to do with praying. But it really also ties in with what we're doing in the Netherlands and hopefully also what's going on here in uh, Wood Green. And so uh, let's look together at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 So let me read. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because he was uh, because they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. One, I pray as we uh, look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, uh, we uh, praise you for uh, your wonderful work uh, in uh, bringing us uh, to you uh, through your son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that uh, we can gather every week uh, together to reflect on your goodness, uh, to hear you speaking to us, Father, to be uh, transformed by your word uh, more into the likeness of your son. And Father, as we uh, look at your uh, word together, Matthew's gospel, Father, we do pray that, Father, you would be speaking to us, Father, that you would lead and guide us, and that uh, through this, Father, you would uh, do through us, Father, what you intend to do in your world. So we praise you for this time. Uh, speak to us, Lord. Speak to me. Uh, uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Uh, speak, to each of, uh, speak to each of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, to start off with, uh, it's well worth asking a question, isn't it? Um, are we, as a Western society, done with the notion of God? Are we done with Christian fairy tales? Uh, are we beyond... Uh, this so-called Christian good news. Well, um, in the Netherlands, where we're, we're living in, uh, there was a recent report. Uh, a research was done, uh, undertaken, and uh, the research was really looking into uh, the numbers of people who have some form of uh, faith, or they profess some form of faith. And uh, really, the, the, the results were revealing the Netherlands is more unbelieving now than any time in its history. 
more than half the nation, uh, claim no faith. And that's, we're talking about Muslims, Buddhists included, uh, Catholics, not to talk about Christians. Uh, in Rotterdam, where we live, um, we live in a city of about 600,000 people. And if you actually include uh, the outer areas as well, you're talking about 2.4 million people. Uh, but actually, if you look at the statistics, only 4% of people in Rotterdam profess to follow Jesus with Orthodox Christian, Christian views. I, I was watching a, a, um, an interview and Leslie showed it to me yesterday or a couple of days ago and it was the, the whole Franklin Graham, um, Frank, Franklin Graham uh, interview with Piers Morgan. And according to Piers Morgan's stats, um, uh, the US is at its lowest for those who profess faith. Uh, Australia is about uh, under half of the population are now professing. Uh, in the UK, it's about the third of the population that profess faith. <laughs> so uh, all around the Western world, the statistics are revealing. Well, he seems to suggest that uh, the problem is Christianity is really out of fashion. It, it's it's past its sell-by date. Uh, it's not really suitable for the times that we're living in. And I guess uh, the question then is, if that's true, if Christianity is out of fashion, uh, as the statistics are revealing, uh, what then should our response be? How should we respond as uh, Christians to the growing spiritual darkness all around us? How do we respond in our cities? How do we respond in our nations? How do we respond in Wood Green? Well, uh, let me give you a few suggestions. We could perhaps uh, play with the gospel a bit, couldn't we, surely? Um, we could uh, just make it a little bit more uh, seeker-friendly uh, so that people can come in and make it a bit more welcoming and attractive. Or perhaps we could just, you know, quit sharing the gospel altogether. Uh, nobody's listening anyway, and as Piers Morgan said, it, it's out of fashion. Well, um, I'm not advocating any of those ways, and if I was, please, I would ask you to, to remove me from this place immediately. Uh, but as we look through Matthew's gospel together, as we read this ninth chapter, and as we read this, uh, these couple of verses, uh, what we'll begin to see is, first and foremost, how Jesus responds and therefore how he calls his disciples to respond. And if we are disciples of the king, we are followers of the king, then as we walk through this passage together, we'll be absolutely clear what he wants us to do. So let me read, uh, just to bring us up to speed so that we know what's going on here. Uh, verse 35, um, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, kingdom uh, healing every disease and affliction. In other words, uh, Jesus is here doing what he does best, uh, healing, teaching, uh, teaching, and proclaiming the gospel. But what's at, what, what we're actually uh, meant to understand here is that this is telling us, uh, quite helpfully because we haven't been reading this together, what's been going on for the previous few chapters, right? It's a summary. Uh, it's reflecting on everything that's happened. 
And it's uh, the second of two summary statements. The first comes at the end of chapter four. Uh, the second one comes now. And really, this is uh, two summary statements working together to make a point about Jesus in his identity as king and the kingdom that he will one day establish. And really, this is Matthew's way of saying, hey, look, uh, guys, pay attention. Everything in here is really telling, something, telling us something about Jesus. It's making, us, uh, it's making clear to us what his kingdom will look like. In fact, uh, if we uh, just uh, zoom out a bit, if we try to understand uh, what Matthew's gospel is about, Matthew's gospel is uh, carefully put together uh, so that uh, uh, we would understand that Jesus is uh, God's promised king, uh, promised throughout the Old Testament uh, in fulfillment, who will one day establish God's kingdom, so that by the end of Matthew's gospel, we would recognize that he has all authority in heaven and earth, and that we would make disciples of the king. So uh, back to verse 35, uh, reflecting on what's come before, uh, it simply reminds us, that having proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, Jesus has been visibly demonstrating the good news of the kingdom. And he's been demonstrating the kind of kingdom he will establish. He's been giving us a, a preview, a kind of glimpse. I don't know if you um, uh, like the movies. Uh, me and Abby do like going every now and then. Um, but you know when you go into the movie, before you go to the movie, if you, if you really want to know if the movie is good, you, you watch the one or two minute trailer, right? Uh, and it gives you a little bit of a glimpse of what's to be expected when you go. And Matthew is saying what Jesus is doing is really like that. He's been demonstrating through his unique miracles and healings and, and, and his teaching what that kingdom will one day look like, his kingdom that he will establish. Jesus plays the starring role, and he's giving us a glimpse. But first 35 isn't just uh, looking back, it's also uh, looking forward, and it's also here to tell us that Jesus' focus is about to shift now. Jesus' focus is uh, no longer, per se, demonstrating the kingdom, but uh, he's now shifting his focus to the mission of his kingdom. And so that's what's going to be the focus of the next few chapters. In fact, we can't have read uh, through chapter 9 if we were to have read through chapter 9. We wouldn't have uh, read through chapter 9 without noticing the king's priority. And so look with me at verse 6. Uh, as Jesus heals a paralytic, what does he say? He says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on, on, on earth to forgive sins, so, that, uh, so he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. In other words, why did this happen? Uh, Jesus' healing of the paralytic man is to demonstrate that he has authority to forgive sin. Well, look at verse 9 onwards. Jesus calls sinners to himself. Uh, he calls Matthew a wretched tax collector. Uh, a little bit further, he does the very uh, seemingly unkingly thing of uh, sitting with sinners. And look at verse 13. He explicitly states his purpose. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, this is the backdrop. This is the backdrop against which we uh, find our first observation in our passage uh, today. Uh, 
it's against this backdrop of Jesus uh, forgiving and welcoming and calling sinners to himself. And so the first thing we uh, notice in our passage, the first point for today, is the king's compassion for the lost. Let me read verse 36 again. Uh, when, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I don't know if you've ever, um, you know, really sat with somebody who's grieving. I don't know if you've been through the grieving process uh, with them, um, someone who's mourning a loved one. Uh, I certainly remember um, during the pandemic, um, Abby lost her stepfather. And, um, you know, I just remember her going through the motions. And you don't really have the words to speak. Um, you don't know what to say, but you certainly feel something, don't you? Uh, you're moved. Uh, it's, it's a little more, a lot more, I would say, than uh, just the uh, sympathy. Oh, that's awful, isn't it? You are absolutely, uh, uh, you know, feeling everything that they are feeling. You are moved with compassion, heartfelt compassion. Uh, we tend to say our heart goes out to a person. You are completely moved. And that's what Matthew uh, is describing. Uh, this is how Matthew is describing Jesus. Uh, Jesus uh, looks upon the vast crowds, and having traveled through uh, the region of Galilee, he can't help but feel heartfelt compassion for them because they are like, uh, they are like sheep. They are helpless and they are harassed. Uh, sheep without a shepherd. I don't uh, expect that anyone here has um, ever done any shepherding work before. Um, correct me if I'm wrong after, after this uh, meeting. Um, I certainly haven't had any experience in it, but um, uh, sheep that don't have a shepherd, uh, sheep that lack leadership, uh, they find themselves in the most immediate danger, don't they? Uh, they are at the mercy of all sorts of uh, predators. I remember uh, reading a book um, uh, some years ago about a, a shepherd, a real-life shepherd turned pastor, uh, who said that uh, even a shepherd's negligence could, uh, could uh, alone could easily lead to uh, sheep being lost through things like infections, uh, bloat death, whatever that is or uh, being eaten by predators, or simply just wandering, wandering away. And actually, this, this uh, way in which Jesus describes the crowds as sheep, uh, sheep of our shepherd, goes way back to the Old Testament. Uh, very early on in the Bible, uh, Moses was about to die uh, in Numbers 27, and he pleaded with the Lord, Lord, provide leadership for God's people. Why? So that the Lord's people may not be like sheep without a shepherd. And uh, as we trace the history of God's people in the Old Testament, uh, we'll find that when that leadership ultimately fails, because it does, uh, the history of God's people is shaky. Uh, Ezekiel, 34, uh, Ezekiel 34, later on in the Old Testament, uh, God describes his, uh, his people in a similar way. Uh, scattered sheep, uh, they are prey, they are utterly helpless. 
In other words, why does Jesus have compassion for the crowds he's seeing? Well, he's looking at crowds and he's seeing people who, uh, over whose lives God's leadership and God's rule is absolutely missing. It's absent. These people's lives lack God's leadership. And therefore, they're utterly lost. Utterly helpless. And the effects on their lives are, are catastrophic. They are uh, sheep that are preyed upon by predators. Ultimately, they're spiritually dead. And if you think about that, it's not really a million miles off our situation today, is it? As we uh, think about the spiritual darkness all around us, uh, Jesus looks upon millions and millions of people living in London, uh, millions of people living in Rotterdam, uh, millions of people living in Amsterdam, living in all kinds of places, and he looks upon them with compassion. These are people who have rejected God's leadership over their lives. And we don't really have to think, uh, think hard to see how uh, this rejection of God's uh, leadership and his rule has affected their lives catastrophically, uh, catastrophically uh, in Rotterdam where we're living, uh, the rate of family breaks, breakdowns is really high at the moment. It's really, really high. Um, it's a, a big situation over there. Uh, but it's not hard to see how uh, the rejection of, let's say, God's values for family uh, has devastated families over there. Rejection of God's leadership is catastrophic. Indeed, the world as a whole has rejected God's rule. The world as a whole has rejected God's leadership. Uh, again, when I, uh, in, in the Netherlands where we live, um, if you go to the main airport, um, well, it's not there now, uh, but uh, some months back, there was a huge sign. It was, it was uh, really enormous. And the sign simply read this, uh, there's probably no God, so dare to think for yourself uh, and enjoy life. Uh, it, it just says it all, doesn't it? Uh, it's the times we're living in. Uh, in many ways, uh, the world says fulfillment and freedom and life can be found elsewhere, apart from God. Well, the end is catastrophic, not just in this life, but in the next. Because ultimately, the biggest enemy, the biggest threat of people is death and judgment. And if you, you want to find a place where it seems like uh, everybody's uh, got their lives together, well, um, just take out your phone and uh, you know, if you don't have it, download Instagram. Um, or Facebook, or TikTok, or wherever, yeah, wherever you use. And you'll see uh, loads of wonderful pictures, uh, wonderfully put together, all the best filters on, uh, picture-perfect families, and yet, uh, it doesn't fool our King Jesus. These are people who Jesus sees as helpless and harassed. They are sheep without a shepherd. Uh, he's not fooled. 
And perhaps you're here today. Uh, you've rejected uh, God's leadership over your life. Uh, you've rejected the rule of King Jesus. Well, the king looks at you with compassion. He looks at you along with thousands and millions of others all around us with compassion. In Ezekiel 34, uh, which I just mentioned, uh, God didn't just state uh, the problem. He also stated a solution. Uh, he promised to uh, personally rescue. He promised to personally care, to personally provide leadership that people so desperately need. Well, God has done this. God has sent his son. Uh, Jesus puts it this way, John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the flock. And that's precisely what Jesus has done. Uh, later on in Matthew's, uh, in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus would be put to death by some of the very people he has compassion for. Why? So that uh, through his death and through his resurrection, the lost could be welcomed into his kingdom under his loving rule, under his leadership. The king has compassion for the lost. Well, I, I wonder, perhaps, Christian, uh, as you uh, shuffle through the busy high street here in uh, Wood Green, uh, after the service or uh, between the services, or you sit in a packed uh, underground uh, with uh, many, many commuters, or you work with your colleagues, I wonder whether you have compassion for the lost. Well, you may be sitting there thinking, um, well, it's all well and good having compassion. It's, yeah, I mean, it's a good thing to do. It's a noble thing to, to have. But it doesn't really change things, does it? Um, yes, we can be compassionate, but the statistics don't lie. Uh, yes, we can be compassionate, but Christianity is still in a decline. Um, we aren't experiencing conversions at an astronomical rate. Yeah, it's good to have compassion. And you may just feel justified in being pessimistic uh, if, you're, if you're being honest. Well, I want you to notice the next thing, our next observation, uh, the king's perspective. So uh, point to the king's perspective of a plentiful harvest. Uh, let me read verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Well, I want you to notice that the, the metaphor has shifted. He's no longer talking about sheep and shepherds. He's talking about a great harvest uh, that's ready to be harvested. And instead of being compared to sheep now, uh, the people are being compared to the harvest. Uh, and they will be harvested, uh, that activity that will take place as uh, people go out and uh, these people hear the gospel and they put their faith in Jesus and they come to him as their king. It's the activity that's going to uh, dominate the next few chapters of Matthew's gospel. And it's the activity that is going to be expanded to the work of all disciples by the end of Matthew's gospel to make disciples for the king. But I want you to notice the, the really interesting thing here. Uh, did you see it? Uh, it's Jesus' perspective on the whole situation. Um, 
Jesus doesn't seem to be the glass kind of um, glass half empty uh, kind of person. He seems to be the glass half full kind of person. Uh, perhaps it's uh, so easy to remain uh, pessimistic over our current state uh, of uh, decline in, in the United Kingdom or in the West. Uh, we're no longer in the, the, the peak era of Christianity in our land. Uh, and yet, Jesus' words are just as relevant now as they were then. There is a plentiful harvest, he says. There are uh, plenty of people who do not know Jesus who are to be harvested in his kingdom. Of course, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus has a unique perspective, doesn't he? The Lord of the harvest is the one turning hearts to him. It's, it's really an encouraging perspective, isn't it, uh, in the times we find ourselves. Uh, we can't deny the spiritual darkness all around us, uh, and yet, at the same time, we can be very confident. Uh, we can be optimistic that there are plenty of people who are waiting to know our King and our Lord. Uh, we read the Bible and we see uh, by the end of the whole Bible narrative, a great gathering of people, uh, worshippers, around the throne of King Jesus that the Bible describes as you know, uh, innumerable. You're not able to count them. Well, who will achieve that? The Lord of the harvest. We can be optimistic, brothers and sisters. Uh, people uh, all around us aren't done with the gospel yet. Uh, we haven't even begun. We haven't scratched the surface. Uh, if we look at these words, there are colleagues at your workplace. There are uh, parents at the school gates. There are friends in your social circles who are ready to hear the good news of the kingdom and are ready to be harvested. So look back with me, verse 37. Uh, just look at what Jesus uh, does and doesn't say. He doesn't say that there's a lack of people uh, to be brought into his kingdom. That's probably what we'd emphasize more often than not, isn't it? Uh, there's just not enough people uh, interested in what we have to say. No, he, he doesn't emphasize that. But what he does say is that there is a lack of workers to go and get them. There is a problem. Uh, the problem isn't that, that people are done with the gospel. The problem is we need more people to take the gospel. That's the problem. The problem is that the king's, uh, king's labor force is short-staffed. The king needs more laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so the king's compassion and his unique perspective results in uh, what we're meant to finally do with this all. Uh, the third point then, uh, the king's command for his disciples to pray. Our final, our final verse then. Uh, verse 38, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, uh, to send out laborers into the harvest. As um, Abby and I uh, labor in uh, Rotterdam and uh, for, for a season also in, in Amsterdam, 
uh, it's been our experience um, that the res that the res the resource that's uh, hardest to acquire is isn't um, things like training. Um, it's it's not necessarily financial help. Uh, we praise this uh, praise God for this church uh, that's been supporting us. Actually, the the resource that's really the most hardest to come by is co-laborers. It's the right people to work with. It's people who are really interested in reaching the lost. But it's not just in planting. It's not just in our situation. Uh, there are many, and, and we've seen it over there, uh, over there too. Uh, it's quite a thing over there. Um, there are many uh, churches with leadership teams Elderships teams that are just understaffed. Uh, there are many churches uh, that are, are relying on one pastor, for example. There are just not enough men who have a desire and who are qualified and who are equipped to serve. Uh, but it's not just in vocational ministry. Uh, this is applicable to everyone. Uh, the gospel needs to be heard by everyone. And, and so uh, in the offices, you know, in the public squares, um, in the supermarkets, uh, there are people that need to hear the gospel. Those places are understaffed. There are just not enough workers. And so in the next chapter, Jesus is going to extend his ministry. He's going to send his uh, 12 disciples out. But before he does that, look at what he says. Look at what he asks his disciples to do. The first thing he asks his disciples to do is to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Uh, the Lord God is the Lord of the harvest. Uh, he oversees his harvest. It's his harvest of people that are to be harvested. It's him who's one day going to judge between uh, the crop and the weed. It's another theme that's going to be picked up. So uh, we can be confident that it's also his job to send. Well, if it's his job to send, well, then what's our job? Well, Jesus makes it very clear. Our job is to pray first and foremost. We can be absolutely confident uh, that God is in control of his harvest field. He is able to sufficiently uh, staff his, his, harvest, uh, his harvest force to fill up his harvest field. Well, if that's true and if that's what we believe, uh, what's the logical conclusion for us then? Well, the logical conclusion uh, shouldn't be that the first thing we find ourselves doing is we find ourselves on our knees, earnestly praying, earnestly crying out to the Lord persistently, Lord, send laborers, raise laborers here in Wood Green uh, and in other, other places, in North Watford, in Rotterdam, all sorts of places. Lord, raise laborers. Uh, 
It's his job to send. But first and foremost, our job to pray. And so, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, as I uh, draw to a close, let me, let me just ask you a, a, a question. If you say, yes, I do feel compassion, yeah, I do feel something for the lost around us. Uh, I do see the gospel opportunities. Well, my question is, how often do you pray? How often do you pray that the Lord would send? How often do you pray that the Lord would send you? How often do you pray, for example, that uh, uh, Wood Green, Grace Baptist Church Wood Green, would be a church full of active workers working the harvest field. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I pray nearly as enough, uh, enough as I, I should do uh, for the daily harvest field, uh, for the Lord to send people into the harvest field. Um, and perhaps if you are just like me and you can be honest and say, actually, I, I don't pray enough. I probably should do more. Well, this is probably a great opportunity uh, to renew a commitment to it. Perhaps you can uh, get together and pray together, uh, make it a feature amongst uh, brothers and sisters. There are all sorts of things we can do, but uh, the important thing is that we are praying well, uh, we're under no illusions about uh, the great numbers of those who do not know Jesus all around us. We're under no illusions about the spiritual darkness all around us. And yet, uh, we can be sure with great confidence that Jesus is looking down upon people with great compassion. There is a, a plentiful harvest but Christian, the solution begins when we begin to pray. When I uh, first lead us in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, uh, we praise you that, um, Father, you are a God with great, of great compassion. Father, we uh, cannot be uh, any uh, clearer about that because, Father, you've sent your son into the world, uh, that he has uh, died for us. And Father, you have done that so that we could be welcomed into uh, your family under your leadership and under uh, your rule. And Father, we praise you that uh, you haven't just called us to belong to you, Father, but also, Father, you have called us to go and to make disciples. But Father, first and foremost, you have asked us to pray. And Father, it can be the case quite often that uh, we are uh, lethargic when it comes to, to prayer. Uh, Father, we see the need all around us. We see the stats and we see the figures. We're under no illusions. But Father, uh, we just uh, struggle to get going. And so Father, would you please help us? Uh, Father, would you uh, 
please help us to be about the, the business of your, of your king, of your kingdom, uh, starting with prayer. Father, we do pray that uh, in Wood Green, Father, there would be a great response. Uh, Father, thank you so much for uh, the wonderful things that you are already doing here. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, the wonderful gatherings that are taking place on a weekly basis. And thank you for the prayer that's been off being offered up, Father. Uh, we are so grateful. And Father, we pray that you would uh, continue to uh, encourage us and drive us uh, to continue to pray. By your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.